Hey, buddy, you look like a winner, the carny barked out at me. And I, and I was. 19 years old, walking through the fairground with my girlfriend on my arm. I was feeling lucky. Just one in the basket wins this beautiful stuffed animal for that lovely lady of yours. Come on, what have you got to lose? Give it a try. So I paid my money and I picked up the basketball and I shot it. Clank. <laughs> now, one thing that, uh, that you probably don't know about me is, uh, is I played basketball at Duke. That's at Duke, not for Duke. It was intramural. But still, I played basketball at Duke. So I, I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. I had three chances, and uh, I knew I'd get it. So chance number two, clank. Chance number three, clank. Oh, so close. Come on, man. Win your lady this dog. You can do it. I said, no, thank you. I can... I could see that this game was rigged. That that wasn't a regular full-size hoop. It was a tiny one. It's probably a, just a quarter inch bigger than the ball. There was no way that I was going to waste any more money on that. There was no way to win. And just then, Tammy stepped up. Said, I'll try it. Swish. At least she let me carry the dog around the fair. Now, if you want to bet on a fair game, bet on Tammy, not on me. <laughs> but if you want to win at life, bet on Jesus, the risen one. Last Sunday at Easter, I shouted, Christ is risen, and you shouted, He is risen indeed. Oh, we can do it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But you know, most of the world did not reply that way. Most of the world, with that proclamation of Easter, just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, eh, so what? Well, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells the church and tells us why it matters, why it matters that he is risen indeed. He writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Paul says there's something of first importance, and that's that Christ died that he was buried, and that he was raised. He goes on to say this, 
But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then the game is rigged and there's no way of winning and death defeats us all. If there is no resurrection, then we're just deluding ourselves with false hope. If there is no resurrection, then then we are lost cause because a dead Christ can't do anything for us. If there is no resurrection, then we are pitiable losers like me at the fair. But in fact, there is a resurrection. Christ is risen. As Paul says in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Because of Christ's resurrection, we aren't losers. We are hopeful winners. Now, what do we win as Christians? What difference does the resurrection make for you and for me? Well, there's an an old Gaither song that says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And for the rest of April, we're going to kind of unpack those words from that song because it really tells us what, what it matters to us and, and what, what an impact it has for our lives. And today we're going to look at, at just that phrase, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. You know, most of us can handle the present. Most of us can handle today. It's tomorrow that trips us up. It's the worries and the anxiety about what's going to come that drags us down. You know, I'm the the biggest baby when it comes to shots. Um, I can't watch them on TV. This has been terrible during this pandemic. When my kids were little and I took them in for their shots, I'm the one that they're worried about passing out and the kids are just, you know, treating it like nothing. And and it's strange because I'm a diabetic, so for a large part of my life I took four shots a day. Um, I don't have to do that now that I have a pump, but, but I still have this phobia of needles. And so the euphoria that I experienced when I finally got an appointment for a COVID shot was quickly replaced by dread, especially on the night before, knowing that, that I would have to, to drive a long distance to get my appointment, and just dreading it the whole way. The night before, I hardly slept. Um, I know, I'm a baby, 
Um, because when I actually did it and went there, it was no big deal. In fact, I didn't even get a sore arm out of the thing. Um, it, it was pain-free and not a problem whatsoever. Everything went smooth. But boy, all that I put myself through the day before, worrying about what would come tomorrow. And we do that in life. We worry about what the future's going to bring. Maybe right now you're worrying about the, the future for, for your health. And maybe you're worrying about the, what tomorrow will bring for your finances. Or, or maybe you're worried about our country and, and the things that we're going through. Or maybe even big global things and you're worried about uh, climate and, and things that, that are worldwide. You, we worry about things. And it's not so much that we can't handle things in the moment. It's that the future, tomorrow, weighs us down. When, uh, when Jesus was raised, he spent 40 days talking with his disciples. As we heard that long list of the many people that, um, that met and saw him. And then, after 40 days, he prepared his disciples for his departure because he was going to ascend to heaven. And they're worried about what's going to happen and when it will happen and, and, and how it's going to happen. They're caught up with worries. We find this in the, the first chapter of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all about, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, the former book he's talking about is the Gospel of Luke, because Acts is the, uh, the sequel uh, to Luke. And he says, so you know about what Jesus did and up through the resurrection, and now he starts off. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this, them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the skies he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, the, Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. They're worried about the times and the dates because they think if they can just know what's going to happen in the future, then they're going to be able to face tomorrow with all, without all that anxiety and the worry. But Jesus says the times and the dates, they're, they're not yours to know. You know, we probably could have saved a whole forest of trees if, if people took Jesus at his word. 
with all the books that people have bought predicting the date of Christ's return, Jesus says, it's not ours to know that. But he says, there's something better in store. What's going to help you face this, the future without me? And by that I mean without his physical presence, because we know he's, he's with us. In fact, he promises that. He says, what's going to help you face tomorrow is not knowing all the details. What's going to help you face tomorrow are three things that I promise you. Three things that will help you no matter what tomorrow brings. And the first is, he promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you read all of, uh, of what Jesus said at the Last Supper last week, during that uh, Holy Week time, you heard in, in John 14, him talk about how he's going to leave, but he's not going to leave us without any hope, because he's going to send another to be with us. He says, I will ask my Father and he will give you another advocate, also translated companion or counselor or comforter. I will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. Those are the words of Christ. Because Christ lives, he can follow up on that promise. Because Christ lives, he can give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be our advocate. The Holy Spirit prays for us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our worries about the future and reminds us of what Jesus has taught us. And most of all, the Holy Spirit will be with us no matter what tomorrow brings. Jesus also says in John 14, I won't leave you as orphans. Because I live, you will live also. Our brother Tom Savage died this week. And if you ever met Tom, he liked to talk about a lot of things. But something that came up in almost every conversation I had with him was something about Tom's joy that he, it was no longer him who lived, but Christ who lived within him. How the Holy Spirit was alive inside of, of him and, and how we make faith so hard because we make it about us when the victory's already been won. And the Holy Spirit lives within us so we can face tomorrow because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be with us and within us. Tom celebrated that in his life. And I'm sure you heard him talk in some way or another about those things. A dead Jesus can't give us the Holy Spirit, but a living Jesus can. Now the second thing, second thing he promises us is not only the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also the power of the Holy Spirit to face tomorrow. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he says. We have the Holy Spirit with us, yes, to comfort and guide, but we also have the power to face every tomorrow, whatever it brings, no matter what. There's the power of the living Jesus that changes everything. 
Now, if you were around back in the 80s, um, back in the days of big hair and, and big shows, big bands, big shoulder pads, everything was big back in the 80s, there was a group, Christian group called the Power Team. Anybody ever heard of it? Okay, two hands. The Power Team was big back in the 80s. And they were also big back in the 80s because these were, were some of the, the largest people that you'll ever see. These were, were people who could uh, tear phone books in half with their bare hands. And yes, phone books were a thing back in the 80s. <laughs> Young, younger folks, ask your parents or your grandparents about what a phone book is. But they would, they would do these feats of superhuman strength. They would break piles of, of concrete block. They would would bend metal with their teeth, they would pound nails with their fist. These demonstrations of, of tremendous power as, as Christian men. And it was a wonderful spectacle. It's not exactly what Paul's talking about when he says the Holy Spirit's going to come on upon us with power. Um, you're probably not going to have the power to drive nails with your fist. But the power he talks about is the power to face everything that the future is going to bring for his disciples and for us. The persecution that's going to come for them. The troubles that they will go through. The worries and anxieties that they will have. The challenges that will be before them. He promises them the power of the Holy Spirit to face all of that. Now to give the power team their due... um, they really weren't about just showing off how strong they were. Because their purpose was to use that to get people's attention so they could then share their faith story. So then they could be witnesses and these big, strong, tough guys would then get vulnerable. And they would share how they found Christ and how the audience could also find a relationship with the risen Lord. They became witnesses for Jesus. And that's the third thing that he promises. He says, you not only will you be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they're given not only the Holy Spirit, they're given not only power, but they're also given a purpose. And their purpose, our purpose as disciples, is to be witnesses to the living Jesus, to be witnesses to the resurrection and what it means to have Christ in our lives. He gives them a purpose. So the Holy Spirit and power and purpose, that's what Jesus promises. And because he lives, he makes good on those promises. So we can face tomorrow no matter what. Now, we could face tomorrow all on our own. We could face it without the Holy Spirit. We could face it without the power. We could face it with or without purpose. But why? Why would we want to? When Jesus lives. So bet your life on Jesus. Bet your life on the risen Lord because it's a sure thing. It's even better than betting on Tammy at the fair. (laughs) Bet your life on the Lord because he lives. Let's pray.
O living Lord, help us to face tomorrow with all its challenges, with all its worries. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your power and help us to be witnesses that you are the living Savior, the Savior of the world. Because you live, we can live too. And we celebrate again this day. Amen.